I finished the album and uh, it was mastered just shortly before the first big wave of the pandemic. And uh, I'm really glad I, you know, I finished it then so that I had something I could put out, um, even though immediately we weren't sure if anyone was even going to be putting out records exactly, you know, but it, it worked out great. Now that you're starting the process, I mean, I assume like in a regular non-pandemic year, you know, you would be touring or ramping up the tour. Yeah, yeah. This is just interviews, which we would do, you know, before touring. So it, it's normal in that way. But yeah, I mean, that's been the, you know, it's left me seriously unemployed, not able to go out and and tour. So this is, you know, releasing the record is giving me kind of a semblance of normality a little bit. Um, and the record itself has a a solid sort of wholeness to it. It's sort of a rock record and I wanted it to be um, kind of consistent, you know, throughout it, like an object. And, uh, and it, I think it worked out really well with this time. It kind of has some doom on it. It's got some kind of hopefulness. <laughs> um, it's got some uh, defiance kind of against time and what befalls us, you know, sort of living. And uh, so it, Strangely to me, anyway, I'll think of it as this pandemic time, even though I really made the album the year before. Yeah, I mean, I think something that we can lose track of because things have been so uniquely bizarre and and difficult for so many of us since March, April, uh, we, we lose track of the fact that like things weren't good before that (laughs) you know what I mean it's not it's not like everything was like smooth sailing and then all of a sudden this pandemic hit and and things were bad it's like we've it's been a not to tie it to anything specifically I mean you could probably extrapolate it to some degree but like it's been a it's been a difficult few years I think for for most people there was a lot there's already a lot out in the world for you to kind of to channel in that respect to be worried about yeah for sure part of it's just my age I turned uh, 56 on October 6th. And uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's just like a dream that I'm this old and I still make music and have kind of been an artist, you know? So uh, it's, uh, you know, part of the thing, the approach and the way I think about things is a little bit in a self-guidance mode, you know, but yeah, there's, there's always lots to working against you, you know, sort of in life and you have to be willing and open to finding a positive things you like and a positive, you know, outlook through things. And I think that, that, that my record has that too. I've, I've always tried to um, touch on a lot of different, feelings my favorite songwriters did that you know um i like you know people like john lennon or alex chilton who could be sarcastic sometimes they could be really earnest and direct and 
very intimate sometimes. Um, sometimes they just rocked out and had fun or whatever. And so I'm always trying to kind of get those different things into a record of mine. And they're sort of the things of life, you know? Did this feel uniquely dark though? I mean, at least uh, relative to all or most of your other records? I guess it felt dark enough to me to, to sort of feel like it worked with the cat's paw title. And, you know, I don't know how many songs are really very dark on it. I mean, really blown away. The opening track is (laughs) sort of, I think the most that way, you know, um, challenge the gods. The third track is kind of defiant, you know, so it's not so much dark as sort of fighting back instead of, you know, impending doom. Uh, but when I thought of using the title, I heard somebody say Cat's Paw on uh, something I was streaming, and it was in relation to a king. Uh, the, the comment was sort of like, oh, he's just a cat's paw for the king. And I looked it up. I thought, I'm curious, you know, what the real definition of it is. And it's really just someone who does the bidding of another or someone who does the dirty work on behalf of someone else. Um, but the reason really the word also caught me was because there was a an episode of the original Star Trek that I, I loved when I was a kid. We would see, you know, reruns. You know, I was only... I guess, two, three, four years old when the original Star Trek was made. But it was really being run as reruns a lot during my, you know, kind of preteen age. And there was an episode called Cat's Paw. And that's really how come the word sort of caught my attention. And I thought that'd be, you know, a great title, but I didn't really know if it meant the right thing for me to sort of use it as a title. Then when I was looking it up, I found this other definition where it sort of said, actually, if I I caught some little booklets, they're having me sign. And in the uh, CD booklet, I put this uh, definition. Cat's paw, okay. Someone or something that comes down quickly upon a victim in the manner of a cat's paw. (laughs) So that was the one and I thought, yeah, I can use it. That's sort of like blown away or something, you know. (laughs) You know, I actually, originally I wanted to steal like, you know, a still of, there's a black cat in this Star Trek episode and they built like miniature uh, hallways for it, you know, walk through so it would look giant and it sort of terrorizes the crew. There's other kind of Halloween-y stuff with some witches and things. And, um, you know, being having my birthday in October, I always sort of had Halloween birthdays. So I have this kind of connection to it. And it's, it's just funny because we've really started the process of promoting this record, you know, kind of around Halloween. And the way the album cover came out, is sort of Halloweeny a little bit. Um, somehow, yeah, there is there is darkness attached to it, but I don't think it's um, taken as a whole that it's super negative. You know, there's there's all kinds of feelings on it. Do you feel that 
negativity is something that you've tended to push back against in, in earlier records. Um, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of your stuff, uh, at least musically kind of tends towards, uh, being, I guess, a little more, um, a little more energetic and on the positive side. Yeah. I think because I, I like really melodic music and I think of myself as sort of a melody guy, almost one of my things when I was starting out and first having a career was mixing more negative words with happier sounding sort of melodies. And I think that's a thing that I've somewhat, you know, been known for. I don't think of myself as shying away from negativity, but I do think I am trying to find a balance um, to not have things be um, too much one way. I, I don't like the idea of everything being a bummer. Although, you know, more negative and more serious um, sorts of songs kind of feel like more and that they're more important in a way, you know? But like coming up from my sort of heyday when I was, you know, having singles on the radio and a label wanting things from me, it was kind of like, that's what they didn't want. You know, they wanted like something more sort of upbeat. And, you know, occasionally I got a balance where I was pleased too, like with uh, my song Sick of Myself, it had really unusual lyrics for being a radio song you know, at the time. So I kind of felt like, I mean, this would have been in, I guess, 1995 or six. I sort of felt like I got away with something. It was sort of a song the label thought was upbeat and like a single, but like I felt still had, wasn't just throwaway, you know? I've heard you discuss the origin of this, of, not the origin of the song, but I guess how the song ended up on that record. It sounds as, as though you weren't particularly, that you hadn't initially intended it to be on the record. Um, so you likely didn't have huge expectations for that to be one of your big breakthroughs. I did not. The, the real thing going on with that song is I only wrote it sort of right before I went in the studio. So I, I hadn't had the idea long enough to ever make a demo of it. And uh, I kind of liked something about it. And um, then, you know, one night while our producer was actually out of the studio, I got our engineer, Nick, to just record Rick Mank and I playing through it. And uh, the idea was just that I'd have some sort of demo of it. And then when Brent back, he was like, this is great, is it? <laughs> And I was like, it's just a song, you know, that I have. And so, yeah, it came kind of especially out of nowhere because it wasn't cold from a bunch of demos I made. It was just kind of a late arrival. Do you find that there tends to be any correlation with the amount of time that you spend on something and how good the final product is from a songwriting perspective? You know, we tend to kind of romanticize a lot of these ideas of, artists who channel the muse. Are the songs that come super easy, are those the ones that tend to be better or uh, are those the ones that tend to break through more? You know, in, in, to some degree, I think uh, 
the easiest part for me is having songs come. It's the part that I never labor over. Every everything, you know, sort of putting it together as a record and promoting it and going out and playing and all those things to me are more difficult than just making music. I don't tend to work on things for any long amount of time. I think that if something doesn't seem too good to me or isn't working out exactly, I just will do more songs. And then, you know, eventually I'll have enough that I think sort of work together. Um, So, you know, as far as songwriting goes, I think I'm, I'm really not very good at, you know, taking a song and on it and developing it and doing those kinds of things. I, in a way, I used to think it was because I was lazy or something, but I think it's more that just the way it works for me, I have to kind of clear my mind and be in a sort of a Zen state and just believe music is going to pop out kind of, and then it sort of does. And, you know, I don't usually dream it and then wake up and, um, you know, do the riff right then, but I might be in the car or in the shower or something like that and have something pop in my head. But really these days I will usually be in a mode where I'm going to write for a while. And um, at first, I'll just every day sit down with no idea what I'm doing and just sort of come up with two or three or four little ideas. And they may be just a snippet. They could be just riffs. They might be just some words and a little melody. And uh, I collect a bunch of that sort of raw material. And then when I go through and something catches me then I'll take it and and record it and it just sort of becomes what it was you know supposed to be or something and it is like a mysterious process to me it's it's it is kind of like magic it's sort of like if you believe hard enough it will happen you know you just have to sort of have faith that that it's going to. And the more I'm not thinking about, is it good? Is it bad? And those kinds of things, um, the easier it happens. And to me, the more successful it is. So, you know, it was a thing that used to be difficult for me because a label or my management or somebody might say, you know, you really, you could really take that idea and develop it. (laughs) And to me, that was just not what I was going to do. <laughs> I would instead write more songs, you know, until I had enough things everybody liked, you know. There must be days or weeks or even months when it doesn't come easy. There must be days when you are kind of butting your head up against a wall or when you just have to uh, not thinking about songwriting for a while. Yeah, I mean, I like to just have a break in between, you know, when I am finish a record, like I really haven't, Um, done any writing of note since I mastered Cat's Paw early this year. I sort of um, save it for like when I'm really ready to 
kind of go. So I'll, I'll, you know, at some point when this gets out and it's in the world and I feel like I've, you know, gotten it, birthed it fully, <laughs> then I'll start the process again where I'm going to start, you know, writing some songs and I'll have that intention. And I don't know. I just, I don't know if I've ever had a block where I felt like I couldn't write. I have self-doubt where I'll go, uh, maybe this is all terrible or whatever, you know, but not so much where it's like, why can't I write a song anymore? I feel like that's sort of the one thing I can do. <laughs> and like everything else, I'm not too sure about. In an instance like this, again, where it's 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 difficult for, for everyone, uh, you know, and I assume that um, that also holds for you, uh, how do you how do you tend to process these things? You know, if, if, if you don't have music as, or you don't have songwriting as, as direct, a uh, direct outlet or, or direct catharsis, how do you deal with all of this stress and all of these emotions? Yeah. I mean, it's been a really stressful time and, you know, everything, you know, politically, the pandemic in terms of sheer, my livelihood for me, because I can't tour you know, um, there is a, a lot of stress. And, uh, you know, I've thought maybe I had the virus many times, you know, <laughs> I've had more headaches than I remember the whole rest of my life before, you know, I mean, it has a stress effect for sure. I think um, I've just done past times I enjoy like watching, you know, I've absorbed a ton of content, you know, like um, movies and TV shows, things I've always kind of wanted to see. You know, I've had so much time when I could sort of delve into that. And I, I normally am very much a homebody and I don't go out and socialize much or anything. My friends are mostly people I've been friends with for a long time and we're more communicating on email and texts and stuff than me necessarily seeing people in person. So to some extent, it's normal for me to be at home. Um, but yeah, it's felt a lot different. I feel like I've been really lucky that uh, the disease hasn't touched my life directly. I haven't had someone who I'm close to die of the virus, you know, um, it definitely seems like it's getting worse now, you know, so uh, I feel like, you know, we all need to be extra careful. But, you know, I've just tried to do those sorts of hobbies, getting my record together and doing the artwork and, and uh, just just absorbing a lot of really a lot of video based content movies from long ago from more recently i finally watched all the different star treks when i used to only know the original series you know um i'm a big fan of like horror movies and in, in particular kind of witch witches and ghosts you know like sort of supernatural kind of stuff not so much 
slasher, you know, and, uh, you know, I've had a lot of time to kind of go back through all my favorite movies and explore some stuff I never, you know, got to see. I mean, to me, that seems like one of the most different things than usual is how much I've been able to kind of take in. Over the course of your career, how much of a tool has songwriting been when it comes to processing what you're dealing with on a personal level? I think it's a big part of it because it's a time when I find myself faced with the way I felt, you know, about you know, in a bunch of different ways. And so I think it's very much an outlet. Having said everything I've said, if I'm thrown really off and feeling really untethered, I very well might start writing music just to sort of, because something's gotta give, you know what I mean? So like if I'm really overloaded with, a lot of feelings, I might be more likely to just start writing out of the blue rather than like I was talking about in terms of a a little bit of a cycle of do some writing and make a record and then not write for a while. So it's new to me again. Um, I would say the thing that sort of breaks that pattern is when I'm emotionally overcome enough that I don't know what to do. And then I might write music, you know? I was partially thinking specifically of the album Altered Beast, which came on the heels of of a, a big record for you, but was, I guess, more difficult from a a, a pop standpoint, from a, you know, yes. a radio hit buzzbin standpoint. And it seems to me, you know, from the outside at least, that a lot of that was really you dealing with this these kind of, these divergent emotionally divergent parts of yourself and really working that out on record. Is that one of the more concrete examples? I I think it is a great example. You know, I recorded a lot and wrote songs a lot and all of that, but the, but none of that really prepared me for what it was like for me when girlfriend became successful and I was, touring all the time and doing interviews all the time and meet and greeting huge amounts of people all the time. (laughs) And it was, it was just kind of overwhelming to me. Now I uh, suffer from bipolar disorder at the time. I didn't know that. Um, And so to me, uh, Altered Beast seems like such an example of, me trying to figure out what was going on in a super bipolar way. I thought of it as almost two different people. I thought of it as the person who was kind of normal and might have a more positive sort of viewpoint. And I thought of it as a person that, that was all, there was another person that was sort of like a monster and couldn't understand it's rage or their rage and, and their sadness and and all these things. And uh, I think at the time I just sort of felt like I was having a split personality or something. Um, And I think that really defined kind of what that record was. And, you know, in a way, 
the side that was more monstrous was sort of more sarcastic and um, maybe, you know, I tempered it with that a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, and I kind of almost sort of had many nervous breakdowns in the wake of making Altered Beast. And when I was touring for it, I started to manifest really, really bad fear of flying and that affected my life a lot at that time when kind of like I needed to be flying all the time you know and ultimately I stopped flying at all for about eight years so that you know changed things a lot it kind of limited a little more uh, how much I went overseas but also we had 100% fun during that time, I never flew, and I was probably a little more together and a little less kind of uh, splitting with myself, you know, kind of during that time. And it really wasn't until toward the end of uh, my time not flying, I think I started back up in around 2001 or 2002 or so, and uh it was like that was the same time I really got diagnosed and treated. And, you know, people tried to get me to do that way back in Altered Beast time, and I just resisted it. I think the people that need it the most sometimes do that because life feels so tenuous, sort of keeping it together anyway, you can't imagine, you don't want to try another way of feeling. You're so barely hanging on to kind of the one you have, you know? If, you know, looking back, I wish I'd been able to overcome some of what was going on. And then on the other hand, it was really cool musically and very uh, bare sort of emotions. And I really wouldn't want to, change that you know yeah i mean I, I think as a culture we tend to not we tend to we we absolutely romanticize um different disorders right uh depression is a good example you know i assume that bipolar disorder is like that as well where uh you know that we we assume in order for people to make great art that there has to be some suffering right painters are, are the best yeah. example of that you know like like van gogh yeah yeah when you were finally diagnosed, was there a fear of uh, being medicated or being treated that you might lose some of that creative edge? You know, I never really feared that. I think maybe when I wasn't treated, maybe I thought I was unsure, you know, how that, that being treated would affect all those sorts of things. But I, what I learned once I was, was that it really didn't change me or how I felt very much. It just made me feel like I had a chance and some hope. And it just made me feel more like myself and less where I kind of thought, how does anybody live their life? You know, um, it just helped me understand like, oh, this is how they're not like swinging wildly, you know, all over the place. This isn't um, normal. This yeah, and and I feel like, you know, it doesn't make me not swing. You know, I still have my ups and downs. And I think 
plenty of that for music. I think a bigger difference would be just being older and understanding life a little better and understanding what's happening to you in a way that when you're really young, you just don't yet, you know? And so in, in some ways, um, going through that kind of anguish that you have when you're young, maybe young and in love or young and unsure of yourself or whatever, those things can never really be quite the same as that first time, you know, when you were going through it. So um, I would look toward just being more mature and having a better understanding of life, having as a, probably a bigger impact than whether I'm treated for my bipolar or not. You had a fairly big break relatively early on in that, you know, in that, that you got signed pretty quickly that, you, you know, after a couple of years in Georgia that you moved to New York and started doing that whole thing. In hindsight, do you think maybe that might have happened a little too quickly, uh, too fast, that maybe you weren't quite ready for that when it came along the first time? Well, uh, I think that, you know, the situation really was that these guys at Columbia came to me and said, you know, we really like your demos. We think you should be a solo artist and use your real name. You know, and at the time I had a thing with uh, this guy, David Pierce, called Buzz of Delight. And it was really me making my demos, but um, he was a drummer and kind of helped do the artwork and sort of gave us this magical vibe, you know, through that. And to me, I guess my biggest fear was I, I thought that being just a guy who was like a singer-songwriter with a guitar or whatever was like super boring, you know? So I was unsure about it, like in, in that way. At the time, it, it definitely wasn't, you know, aside from a few examples, maybe Elvis Costello or Bruce Springsteen, either of which, you know, obviously you're not, but, but, you know, bands were very much the thing. Yeah. Bands were the thing being, a, you know, I, I thought if I was going to, I thought I would have a band name, like people like, you know, Dinosaur Jr. or something, you know, where it's really Jay Mascus, you know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, you know, once again, I wasn't developed at playing live. I hadn't had a lot of bands. Um, so my thing was born out of making multi-track tapes kind of on my own. And <laughs> those records, you know, I think if I'd understood a little better my first couple records, it would have been more horrifying to me if I'd understood, like, you won't get to make records if you don't, like, have some success, you know, and, and figure out who you are. You didn't realize that at the time? I didn't really think of it that way. I thought, wow, I get to record in a studio. You know, like, that's what I cared about. Or just, like, the record's done and I have a record. I didn't want to, like, listen to it. I just always wished I could make records, you know? So you didn't have, like, some grand expectation? No, I had no... The last thing I could imagine was being some kind of star. And I, I didn't... I just didn't imagine that for myself. But also, I was so young, 
and this stuff was happening, I wasn't going to say no, you know, when they said, will you move to New York and we'll give you money for, you can get a 16 track instead of an eight track, you know? And uh, so it was very different than sort of the people that I'd met right out of high school, all these people in bands in Athens, Georgia. And I think in terms of how a lot of them were going about their careers and how REM was taking off and they really built their thing from playing live and building a following that way. You know, I wasn't like that. I was more of a studio guy, um, even though I'd never really been in pro studios. I was a Porta Studio cassette four track, you know, guy or whatever. And I was shy about being on stage or playing live. I was never the kind of artist where like I needed to be in front of people and like, you know, have them be excited when they saw me. I was always kind of horrified by all that. Now it's very different for me. I understand I have enough, you know, ability emotionally to sort of know that the audience is there and to feel what it means to them when I play music and sing songs and what it means for me to get inside the song and sing it and feel it again, like back, you know, when I wrote it. And, uh, and it's a really, really different um, experience than, than very early on where I would just kind of turn up my guitar really loud and put my head down and just not be able to face it exactly. If you were ever going to do that, the early 90s was the right time to do that, right? I mean, that, you, that kind of fit right in with the zeitgeist of being the guy who like plays live guitar and puts his head down and kind of ignores the audience. Well, yeah, it sort of worked, yeah. And it was an unusual time for a guy like me, although I grew up liking, you know, loving Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and all these people that were real songwriters that, you know, had to be considered singer-songwriters. I don't know, maybe partly it, I thought of the throwback of more like 70s singer-songwriters and just the picture of the guy with the acoustic guitar, like that was what I feared. Although I did end up having <laughs> to have my picture on my records, eventually I stopped having to, <laughs> you know, I was able to just nowadays, I just don't even put my own photo on albums and I just put stuff that I like, you know. And maybe I relate. I related to like, you know, I was like, why can't I be like the Smiths and have something I like that's not me, you know, on the album cover? And I kind of tried to do that in my videos. And, and I think it, that probably kept me from being as boring or not fitting in as much as I might have in that era. I think you're really right about that that it just sort of uh, somehow went with what was happening. And it was a, a special time when alternative rock radio became mainstream. And there really were quite a wide range of things that got played on the radio. It didn't have to be 
one thing. So that was lucky for me. But I did always feel like, wow, everybody else gets to have a band and it's so much easier to be cool when you're four guys and everybody shares the burden, you know? <laughs> it's cool, but also, you know, there's, I mean, one, you know, if, if it album doesn't sell or, or a song isn't what you want it to be, it doesn't fall exclusively on you. And two, there's just, um, there's a built-in camaraderie that you don't necessarily have when it's just your name out there. Yeah, I mean, I really tried to have that with my bands over the years. And I have that with the band I've been with for a long time now, where uh, it's like we're all in in it together. And that's such a great feeling. Um, For me, I just think it would be hard to be separated from the band the way I think some big artists are a little bit. I've never been so hugely successful that that I got separated, that it wasn't just like the Motley crew of us, not the band, um, you know, doing our thing and, and uh, us against the world or whatever. It, it always, I've been able to sort of have that. And, you know, that's a little bit why I've tended to have other people play lead guitar on my records uh, mostly. And, um, you know, those, kinds of efforts getting other people to play different instruments um we're also trying to have someone to enjoy it with you know to not just be alone (laughs) you know it's funny that you say that because this record is like in a lot of ways it is your most solo record yeah and it's it's a thing that we talked about me doing a lot back then uh before i made probably 100% Fun and Blue Sky on Mars. I was at least a couple of times supposed to be just making a record myself at home, but I just didn't quite have the confidence. It just emotionally wasn't quite second nature to me enough that I could sort of get it together to stick my neck out and say, you know, this is it. And so I would sort of start doing that, but it really became kind of more like demos and I was going in the studio. So this record to me does feel really different because in a weird way, it's what I could have been doing early on and what I really was doing when I was at home, you know, making my first demos, but just being around all the incredible players my whole life has been enough influence where I just I just felt like I could I should try doing it and it was really satisfying to do um I was able to do it in a not not very self-conscious in a just forget and let go and give it a shot you know and uh so it was really fun to do because I didn't really have to you know do anything except make music like I normally would and then I get to play lead you know and there's something about I think when the song comes from yourself the melody and the chords I hear like all the notes that I think might sort of go well with it I have sort of a sense for that and I think when I started playing lead with things I could find those notes and it would be really pleasing to me to sort of have it 
fit in the way I heard the song sort of melodically. I don't know. It's just kind of more than anything. It was just kind of fun, you know, and, and I would just try not to overwork anything. I would just play it three times going for it and attempt to do a solo when I got to the solo. And, uh, I just had enough stuff when I went through it. Um, I got rid of anything that was I didn't like or terrible clams, and then I just would sort of use whatever was left. Um, sometimes I might pull from different takes, different parts of the song. Sometimes it was mostly one take, and it just sort of was my favorite one out of them. So I really didn't want to be like spending, you know, months going through and trying to perfect anything. I wanted to make sure there was a rawness to it. And, you know, it was offhand enough and not, you know, super calculated or anything. Cause I just like the feel of music more when it's that way when it's not just super calculated. It seems like you're a a relative anomaly from the standpoint of musicians who have had popular success, especially people who came around when you did and had breakthroughs around when you did. There's a lot of pressure on them from, you know, the the record label and everyone else to to do things in in a certain way. But it seems like for most of your career, I don't know if you necessarily pushed back against it, but that you have, for the most part, been able to make the music that you want to make. I really have, and I feel lucky that I've gotten to. I mean, part of it, I think, is just by nature of not being a person who, when you say, you know what, work, develop that idea and work on that song. And, you know, you could really turn that into something. Like, I just didn't, I just don't even know what to do when someone would say that to me. So partly it was just by nature of how I do it. I was a little bit protected from from how much it could sway me, you know. In the end, I felt I could only do it kind of my way and that I didn't know what to do. Like, it's one reason why I think I used to get asked a lot real early on in my career what to do uh, co-writes with people. And I would get together with people and I just, had no idea like what to do. Like I never pushed an idea of mine or like, you know, it just the, a technical approach to writing songs just kind of really threw me for a loop. And it took me a long time to get to the point where, you know, I can kind of do that now um, and maybe bring an idea, a real idea of mine to it and feel like I, sort of uh, contributed to it. But I never felt like I had enough of a sort of present how to write songs with others, you know. I always felt a little more on my own. And I think that's why why I've, it probably seems like I've done whatever I wanted to do. And also, you know, you have a sort of career and there's, I mean, there's, superstar people who keep going and have really big success and change with the styles of the times and do all those things. But I, I just, that wasn't 
where I was looking to go. It wasn't really how I imagined myself. And I still had quite a bit of success. But as that success, you know, you've had kind of your moment. And my times when I was on the radio, I really had two really strong times of that during 100% Fun and during Girlfriend, even to some extent, Altered Beast. Um, Over time, there was just less pressure from other places. And the more, the less pressure, the more relaxed and myself I felt, you know? So I guess maybe it didn't really inspire me that much when labels wished they had a certain thing. Um, It always left me kind of don't know how to respond to that. But like nowadays, it's, it's just easy for me the way I guess if you were a painter or whatever, life might not be easy for you emotionally, but you know how to paint. (laughs) 